listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Uh, Today... I want to take time, and thanks for joining me, by the way. Take a minute to share the broadcast this morning. I'm going to share something with you that'll be very helpful to you. And it feels like I've been saying this often, but I'm going to have to turn this one into a book at some point. Uh, But we're going to be talking about uh, seven enemies of financial increase. Seven enemies of financial increase. And uh, bonus, I'm going to give you nine. The title says seven, but I'm going to give you nine. So nine enemies of financial increase that you can find in the word of God. People say, I don't know why I'm not seeing my financial breakthrough. I don't, want, I don't know why I'm not seeing my, uh, my financial blessing. Well, I'm going to show you today nine things from the word of God uh, that need to be in place. These, these things have to be avoided. So you have to have some things in place in order for God to bless you. It's not that God doesn't want to bless you. Uh, again, number 10, just added another one. Let me put it in. Um, there you go. Just gave you 10. Now we have 10. Now we have 10. Uh Oh, it's an even number. We have 10. Um, (laughs) that's right. So we're going to give you 10 things today and I hopefully I can get through all of them today, but 10 things that are enemies of your financial increase. 10 things that are enemies of your financial increase. And uh, you'll definitely want to write these down because uh, many people in the body of Christ are struggling financially and believing for financial breakthrough. What have we been confessing? This is going to be a year for the faithful of financial wonders, financial wonders, but it's not going to happen by accident. It's going to happen by God's design because we're obedient to his word. So I want to run through these 10 things. Make it a checklist. Make it a checklist for yourself. Are all of these things, am I avoiding all of these things? These are enemies of your financial increase, and you've got to avoid them at all costs when you want to see God consistently uh, moving in your life, manifesting his uh, provisional power in your life. So let's, let's talk about this. And the last one I wrote down will actually be the first one because it reminded me of it just saying it to you. But uh, we'll jump right in. Number one, the first thing that you have to make sure is not in your life, it's an enemy of your increase, is wrong thinking and wrong understanding about God's will. Wrong thinking, wrong understanding about God's will. You know this if you've been a Christian for any period of time. This is a message that is fought more than probably any other message in the body of Christ. You know, you hear people speak in a very derogatory way all the time. Uh, It sounds like that prosperity gospel. And don't worry, I don't preach the prosperity gospel. And there's people that just, they hammer it. They say, well, that's that's an American message. That's, That's a Western gospel. That's a Western message that was made up in this. But let me tell you, some of the churches that are experiencing the greatest financial prosperity and increase in the world are in third world nations doing things that... People in America and Canada are not even doing, doing things that people in Europe aren't even doing. And so it's not an American message. It's not a Western Christianity message. It's not a new message. This is something that God did throughout his word. He blessed his people. But if the devil and false teachers can make you believe that God does not want to bless you financially, and that it's not part of your covenant right in the kingdom, then you will not believe God for those things, right? Wrong teaching leads to wrong thinking and wrong believing. And then it screws up what you can receive from God, right? And let me break down why this is so important to you. The Bible says in James chapter one, that, uh, when you ask God for something, and in, in, in particular, James 1 is talking about asking God for wisdom. But he said, when you ask God, let the one who's asking, ask in faith with no doubting in his heart. 
For one who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. And he said that that kind of a man, that kind of a person, uh, should not expect to receive anything from God. For he's an un, uh, a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. That's James 1, verses 6 through 8. James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. So if you're double-minded about what you believe, you go back and forth. Well, maybe God wants to bless me. I don't know if God wants to bless me. Maybe it's God's will for me to be financially blessed. Maybe it's not his will. Maybe he's taking me through financial struggles to teach me something. Maybe I'm being purified through this. If you have wrong thinking and wrong believing about this subject, then it'll cause you to uh, miss out on what God wants to do. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And the person like that, the Bible says, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord, not anything. And so you have to make up in your mind ahead of time. You got to know God's word, make up in your mind. My God is a God who provides in every area of life, not just financially, but also financially. He's a God who provides financially. He's a God who wants to bless his children. Go with me to Matthew 7. This is a great place uh, to look in your Bible if you ever worried or wondered about God's nature or his character in blessing his children, blessing the ones he loves. Perfect passage for you to get in your spirit. Matthew chapter 7. And um, Jesus teaching here, he says in Matthew 7, 7, and I'll read through uh, verses 7 through 11. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Listen to this. Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the, uh, to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which, now, now, now get into this. Verses 9 through 11, I want you to pay attention to this because I find it interesting that Jesus is using in the context here examples of natural provision. He's not talking about spiritual blessing. He's talking about natural provision. Notice what he says. He said, verse 9, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, natural provision, will, will you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, natural provision, will you give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Notice that. He's trying to get the point across, even those of you that are imperfect, and he uses the word evil, you're evil, born in trespasses and in sins, uh, unregenerated. D you know, these, these, aren't, these aren't Christians he's talking to. He hasn't died and resurrected yet. So they can't be Christians. So he's talking to unregenerate people. And he's saying that you are uh, evil, you are unregenerate, but even though you're imperfect, you still bless your children. You still bless your children. But then he says, how much more will your heavenly father, who by the way is perfect, is perfect and loving and caring, right? How much more will your heavenly father give good gifts or good things to those who ask him? So make it up in your mind. God wants to bless me. In fact, put it in the comments today. God wants to bless me. Hallelujah. God wants to bless me. Thank you, Jesus. God wants to bless me. And I want to show you something. Because after, and if we turn back, let's turn back one chapter to Matthew chapter 6. Because in the previous chapter, he's still teaching on the same subject by 7, but he's into it in 6. And I want you to see Jesus is teaching and he's talking about, uh, which this is something we'll deal with um, 
subsequently, but he says to not, starting in verse 25, Matthew 6, 25, he said, don't be anxious. You shouldn't go around being anxious about finances. He said, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, about your life. Uh, about what kinds of things is he talking about contextually? Uh, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, nor what you'll put on. That means what you'll wear. Don't be, don't be anxious about natural provision. That's what Jesus is teaching. Well, why? Here's the question. Why, Jesus? Why shouldn't we be anxious about natural provision? Because is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them, takes care of them. Are you not of more value than they are? Right? Jesus is saying, you're more valuable than birds. You're more valuable than animals. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in his, all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly, watch this, your heavenly father knows that you need them all. He knows what you need. Now, now the, the verse we always quote, but seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You see that? So Jesus is saying here, uh, and by the way, as you noticed, he's talking about natural things. Nothing he just mentioned was a spiritual blessing. He's not talking about the gifts of the spirit. He's not talking about your salvation. He's not talking about the Holy Ghost in you. He's, not, he's talking about natural things. Don't be anxious. Of, notice the, the, the whole thing I just read you. Here's the gist. Here's the, uh, the breakdown, if you will. He's saying, don't worry about what you'll eat, drink, or wear. Natural provision. He said, your father in heaven, first of all, knows what you need. And you're more valuable to him than the plants that he's created, than the animals he's created. But he wants you to first seek his kingdom and his righteousness, right? Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. All these other things, God knows what you need. They'll be added unto you. So by these two passages we just read, Matthew 6 and Matthew 7, can you not clearly see that God is a God who loves his children and has a great desire to bless them, a great desire to provide for them, a great desire to take care of them. And I'm talking about you. And the thing is this. Now, I just gave you two passages here in Matthew 6 and 7, but go through the whole Bible. Go through the Old Testament and go through the New Testament and understand that God's a God who blesses his faithful people. You know, and so when you understand his nature and his character is to bless, you know, think about Israel. They weren't even under the covenant we're under. They didn't have Jesus. They weren't righteous like we are. You know, they didn't have access to God's righteousness. No, they, they didn't have our covenant. But if you go back and read God's covenant with Israel, did you know a, a large portion of it contained financial blessing? If you'll obey me, what'll happen? You'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when you come in, blessed when you go out. Your livestock will be blessed, your basket, your store. I'll open up uh, my treasury in heaven and pour out rain on your land. He just promises the blessing after blessing financially. Financially. That's under an old covenant, a worse covenant, established on something, not what we have now, not through Jesus. How much more will Jesus through our covenant with him, do it for us in this New Testament covenant. See, and you if, if you start by, number one, understanding that God has a desire to bless me. God wants to bless me. His nature is to bless his children. That's what he wants. Can I just say it this way? God wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. Hallelujah. God wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. God wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. 
And so if we have a wrong understanding about God's desire, his will, then we want, it's the same with healing. People that have always been taught, well, you know, God sovereignly picks and chooses who he'll heal. He doesn't heal everybody. It's not his will for everybody. So what do you do when sickness comes on you? You have to sit there and wonder, well, uh, is this God's plan for my life? Did God put this on me or did the devil attack me? So you know what happens when you're confused like that? You don't even know whether you should trust God for healing or not. Well, if God put it on me, I don't want to ask him to take it off me. He's using it for his purpose. See, see how wrong thinking about God's nature screws you up. It screws you up in a place where you can't receive his goodness. Same thing happens with this message of financial increase. If you don't understand God's nature and his character and his desire, then you can't believe properly. And if you can't believe properly, the Bible says you can't receive anything from the Lord. Double-mindedness. So number one, the number one enemy of financial increase is wrong thinking. Wrong thinking about the message of blessing and provision. That's number one. Number two, the second enemy of financial increase is unrighteousness. It's unrighteousness. Sin is a killer. Sin destroys increase in your life. But holiness, holiness is like a magnet. Hear this. And in fact, you can even write it down. Holiness is a magnet for the blessing of God. Holiness is a magnet for the blessing of God. Holiness is a magnet for the blessing of God. Let me just quote a few verses to you that we quote often on the broadcast. Psalm 84, 11. For the Lord our God is a sun and a shield, and he bestows favor and honor, and he'll not withhold any good thing from those that walk uprightly. He will not withhold any good thing from those that walk uprightly. Holiness is a magnet for the blessing of God. It pulls the blessing of God into your life. Pastor Enoch Adeboye called holiness the master key that unlocks every blessing in God's kingdom. Holiness does. Did you know, as we read often, Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. I'll read it to you in case you don't have it memorized. It's good to hear it again and again and again and again. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Holiness is a magnet for the blessings of God. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He, who? The one who meditates and walks in the law of the Lord. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that bears fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in all that he does, in all, not spiritually only, hear this, not spiritually only, in all that he does, he prospers. In all that he does, he prospers. Holiness is a magnet for the blessings of God. Holiness is a magnet. So unrighteousness, when you remove all unrighteousness, when you obey the word of God, that obedience to God's word, because I've done this many times on the broadcast, but the simplest definition of holiness is simply obedience to God's word. That's all holiness is. That's all it is. Holiness is just obedience to God's word. So get this, holiness is a magnet for the blessings of God. And unrighteousness is an enemy of financial increase. It's not just an enemy of your soul, while you're living, it's an enemy of financial increase for the believer. For the believer. It's an enemy. Right? Because notice this. You say, well, well, if unrighteousness is an enemy of financial increase, how come there's rich sinners? Why are there billionaires that are sinners? Because we're talking about uh, what I would call biblical prosperity or divine prosperity. So how would you de- determine the difference between natural prosperity and divine prosperity? It's very easy to define the difference. Proverbs 10, 27, the blessing, or 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and does what? And adds no sorrow unto it. Proverbs 10, 22, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow 
I'm not talking about uh, natural prosperity. I'm not talking about what some sinner has because uh, prosperity is not just financial increase. It's all areas. So you can be a Robin Williams with million dollars in the bank and kill yourself. You can be a chef Anthony Bourdain with millions of dollars in the bank, TV show that's seen everywhere, you travel the world, you stay in the nicest hotels, eat at the best restaurants, have the most high-class profile, nicest cars, nicest mansion, and still hang yourself in your room. Kill yourself. Oh, they've got prosperity, don't they? No, they don't have true prosperity. They've got money, but they don't have true prosperity. There's a difference between the blessing of the Lord and those who have unrighteous mammon. That's what the Bible calls it, unrighteous. There's a big difference between those who have the blessing of the Lord and those who have unrighteous mammon. You can't love God and money, the Bible says, and Jesus teaches that. You can't serve God. You'll, you'll hate one and love the other. And I'll get to that too. But you, it's not the same. You say, well, there's sinners that have financial increase. They're not living holy. No, but it's not the same thing. The blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow unto it. I heard Dr. Fred Price teach this one time. He said, what's the difference? Because yes, there are sinners that are, um, yes, there are sinners that are, that are have, they have money. He said, but you know what? What good is it? He said, what good is it to have $3 million in the bank, but your soul is on its way to hell? What good is it to have $3 million in the bank, but your body's filled with cancer? What good is it to have $3 million in the bank, but your mind is destroyed by uh, guilt, shame, depression, anxiety? What good is it to have $3 million in the bank, but you come home from working 50, 60 hours a week and your wife ran off with the pool boy? What? That's not prosperity. That's not a blessing. That's not a blessing. That's a prison. They got you on the hamster wheel for natural financial increase. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about divine prosperity. I'm talking about biblical increase. I'm talking about the blessing of the Lord that makes rich and adds no sorrow unto it. So when you go, you, when you go about it the Bible way, the Bible talks about righteousness, holiness. It's a magnet for the blessing of the Lord, which makes rich and adds no sorrow which makes rich and adds no sorrow. I'm not ashamed of it. I am not one bit ashamed of the blessing of the Lord. I don't hide it. Hallelujah. I don't hide it. I'm not, there's preachers that hide it. They don't want, they, they feel embarrassed if anybody knew they were blessed. I don't, I don't feel embarrassed at all. Not at all. Not at all. Because I, I, it's not, right? It, it's not, uh, it's not my own, uh, talent or ability or wisdom that got what I have anyway. It's God that gave it to me. Why would I be embarrassed? Why would you be embarrassed of what God gave you? Nancy said, what happens to sinners who hate the church, but still financially support churches? <laughs> you know, it's like Pastor Mark Hankins said, uh, God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll also take it from a Scrooge. He'll take it from a Scrooge. Financial uh, support of churches does not make your soul righteous, doesn't regenerate you. It's not uh, um, um, a trade-off for receiving um, Jesus as your Savior and be, being regenerated. I'll tell you what it is, Nancy. It is a um, fulfillment of, of the Bible passage that the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. So I fully expect wicked people who they're not Christians. They may even be hostile toward God, but they still financially support the church. I, I totally expect that because the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. Bible tells us that. No question about it. And so you've got to understand unrighteousness is a killer of financial increase for the believer, but holiness is a magnet for the blessing of God. It's a magnet, that's number two. Number three, people who have a refusal to tithe, they will not tithe. They will not tithe. People say, well, that's Old Testament, brother. Go back and watch the video that I did when Dr. Creflo Dollar uh, came out with his teaching that tithing is not for New Testament believers. Go back and watch it. It's got like 30 some thousand views now. People watched it from all over the country and all over the world. I had people uh, on the West Coast, I was just in California, they said, we've been all watching your video on tithing. 
It's not, it's not done away with. What did Jesus become the ultimate tithe on the cross and cancel out the tithe? No, he didn't do that. And they were still tithing by the time the book of Hebrews was written. And so tithing is something God instituted, God established. Even people that don't believe in the prosperity gospel, people that would be totally against the prosperity gospel still believe that tithing is for today. People that have gone on to heaven like Dr. R.C. Sproul and people that are still alive like Don, Dr. John MacArthur who would fully um, stand against the message of prosperity and provision and abundance. And they would uh, call anyone like myself who would preach that message a heretic, an apostate that needs to repent and come back to the faith. Even they agree that tithing is still for today. Even though they don't believe in prosperity, they believe that biblical tithing is still for today. There's nowhere, you can't go through the Bible and act like it's not for today. Say, well, Paul, how come Paul didn't teach it to the churches? Well, first of all, what if they were already doing it? Why would he need to teach it to them? But secondly, there are other things Paul didn't teach on in his letters to the churches that are still required, like fasting. I do a whole chapter in this book right here. Did the apostle Paul believe in fasting? Because that was one of people's arguments that they don't, well, if, if fasting's for the church, how come Paul never taught on it? How come Peter never taught on it? Why did they need to teach on it? The Holy Spirit inspired everything they taught. And there were things that he just didn't feel was necessary to reestablish. But we know apostle Paul fasted, Peter fasted, the early church fasted. So it wasn't in the letters, but you know what? They still did it. And it was an expectation of Christ. I'll tell you another thing Paul never taught on, but we better know it's true. And that's the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Find me one place in Paul's letters where he uh, teaches on or mentions the virgin birth of Jesus. So does that mean that the virgin birth of Jesus is not important to, to Christianity? Not at all. Not at all. We believe in the virgin birth. If, there, if it wasn't for the virgin birth, you can't be a Christian. If Jesus didn't come as a sinless man through that virgin birth, you can't be a Christian today. But it doesn't mean that the apostle Paul didn't believe in the virgin birth because he didn't write about it in his letters. He did believe in it. Amen. So understand this very clearly. Uh, just because the apostle Paul didn't mention the word tithing does not mean it's not still for today. It's not still for, it doesn't mean that at all. In fact, there's nothing that would tell us that it would be, uh, you know, that's something that existed even before the law was given. So it wasn't just instituted in the law. Where did Abraham get this idea to tithe? Where do you think he got the idea? You think it was just some random number he picked out or do you think the Lord led him to do it? Where did Jacob get the idea to tithe? Abraham's grandson. You think it was just some random thing? This was uh, hundreds of years before the law was given. And, and let me remind you of something very interesting, that no matter before the law, God always, this is something to keep in your spirit, God always had something that was reserved for himself. It's a test of your heart. It's a test of your heart. Can I trust you with my blessing or will you step into greed and covetousness, right? God always had something that was reserved for himself, created the whole garden of Eden, whole garden of Eden, all the trees, all the produce, put Adam and Eve in the garden, said you can have everything and anything you want except don't eat from this one tree. It was a picture of something reserved only for God. You can't have it. Don't touch it. It's not for you. Amen. Now, I'm not using that to say that that was, Abraham, that was Adam's tithe and there were only 10 trees in the garden that he could only, no. I'm saying it's a picture that there's always, under every covenant, there's always been something that God reserved for himself that man couldn't touch. It's not for man, it's for God. It's reserved. What about Noah? Noah existed before the law was given. What did God say to Noah? I want you to build an ark. And then, of course, the animals went on the ark. People think they were only two by two. No, that's only for unclean animals. That was only for unclean animals came on two by two. Those that were inside the covenant that were acceptable unto God, they came on by sevens, the Bible says. They came on by sevens. But what happened? Everything, think about how crazy this is. Everything in the earth was wiped out. Every animal, that, of course, land animals, all that destroyed. Of course, the, you know, ocean animals were still alive, but 
land destroyed. Nothing to eat on the earth. Only what Noah had on the ark. And the ark comes to rest on Mount Ararat and he gets out. What's the first thing God tells him to do? Build an altar and give me an offering. Lord, we have a very limited resource here. (laughs) You know, the earth is empty and we've got the only animals left and we need this. We've got to restock the earth. God said, no, build an altar and sacrifice some animals. Really? Even when there's only a, a tiny bit left for the whole earth? Yes. Why? Because there are some things that are only reserved for God and they're not for you. And God said, if I can trust you with that, then I can trust you with the rest. If I can trust you with that, I can trust you for the rest. There's always been something reserved for God, right? Always. I could talk about Abraham. I could talk about how he tithed to Melchizedek. I I could get into who Melchizedek represents or was, depending on how you believe that. Right? But there's always been something reserved for God. And today it remains the same. It's a test of your heart. It's a test of your heart. And and, and this is something that must be done. And people that refuse to tithe. I like what Bishop Oyedepo said. If you're not a tither, you'll always be a beggar. If you're not a tither, you'll always be a beggar. That tithe belongs to God. We don't give our tithes. It's not an offering. We pay our tithes. We we return them to God. We return them. I'll tell you this. I'd rather live on 90% blessed than 100% cursed. Think about that. I'd rather live on 90% blessed than 100% cursed. Put it in your notes. I'll take 90% blessed over 100 cursed any day of the week. And God knows if I can trust them with that, if I can see that their hearts always, there's nothing I can't continue to bless them with. Amen. So number three, an enemy of your financial increase, refusal to tithe. Number four, it's a refusal to give beyond your tithe. It's a refusal to give offerings beyond your tithe. That is a massive enemy of financial increase. It's a massive enemy of financial increase. Let me say this to you. You've not given any offering until you've finished paying your tithes. Until then, we've robbed God. He made that clear in Malachi chapter three. Until we've got given God his tithe, we've not given any offering. Say, well, I don't tithe, but I give offerings now and then. No, you've not given any offering until you've exceeded the tithe. Amen. It's tithes and offerings. The offering is beyond the tithe. It's what you give God beyond what's owed him. And so seeds that you sow, we call that seed sowing, seed sowing. And um, I've told people before, I don't care. I wouldn't care if I had to go without in order to tithe, I'd go without. God knows if it came down to whether or not I would have groceries for the week or whether God would get his tithe, I'd be fasting and praying and he'd get his tithe. But because God knows that, I would never have to do that. Because of that faithfulness, I will never have to do that. So number one, understanding God's will. Number two, unrighteousness is an enemy. Number three, a refusal to tithe. Number four, a refusal to give offerings, to give offerings. And see, we've talked a lot about this on the broadcast. Your seed, the seed God places in your hand. Paul writes that God gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater, and he multiplies the seed sown and brings back a harvest. And he's very clear about what he's talking about in that context of 2 Corinthians 9. He's talking about financial offerings that are being given. He then says in Galatians chapter 6, whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. The moment Paul called financial giving seed, you can understand that he's the one by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that made the analogy financial giving as a seed that brings back a harvest and a seed reproduces after its own kind, always. I had to, I had to have a discussion. I was talking about this with, with one of my brothers uh, in Christ. And I, was, I said, look, he said, no, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that when you give a financial offering that it always comes back as a financial harvest. You know, you don't know how God's going to bless you back. Maybe it'll be a good relationship. Maybe it'll be a, a better job. Maybe it'll be an open door to witness. Maybe it'll be a, a peace for your mind. I said, no, no. Understand you have to, when you do a hermeneutical study, when you read the Bible to interpret it, 
the first thing you have to realize is it can't mean something different than it meant to the ones who it was originally written to or to whom it was originally written. It can't mean something different than what it meant to them. It was written to them, right? So when Paul's talking to these societies, these cultures, what kind of cultures is he talking to? Agrarian cultures, farming cultures. Why do you think he used the analogy of seed time and harvest? They understood it. They understood. Of course, in the natural, they understood. Well, whatsoever I sow, that's what I'll reap. If I plant apple seeds, I'll get apple trees. Orange seeds get orange trees. If I plant corn, corn stalks come up. They understood it. They were farmers. They were farmers. And when he said to them, whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. They knew what he was talking about. Oh, I get it. If I give offerings and sow financially, which is what he was talking about in Galatians 6, if I sow offerings financially, that's the thing I'll reap back. They weren't sitting there expecting to sow financial seeds and then have a harvest of peace come to their mind. That doesn't make sense to a farmer who understands that the seed you sow will, will be the thing that comes back to you in a harvest. There is no farmer in the world that plants potatoes in potato fields and expects corn stalks to grow up. That's ridiculous. And people try to spiritualize. It's funny to me because these are people who are so literal about the word of God with such a discipline to stay literal into the context of scripture. And then they come to something like giving and they try to spiritualize everything. It's not spiritualized. Paul was very specific with what he said. Whatsoever a man sows, that will he also reap. It can't mean something different than it meant to the original reader. That's how you study the Bible. And if you don't know how to study the Bible properly, join us for Bible Study Made Simple. We open the course twice a year. We'd love to have you. But until then, the brand new course on Galatians, studied verse by verse, is in the Miracle Word University school. And you can get that for a taste of Bible Study Made Simple. We show you how to study the Bible in a verse by verse uh, way and give you free tools on what to do and what to use when you're studying the Bible. People, one of the reasons people make these mistakes, they don't know how to study the Bible. They don't know how to, they, they use improper principles to study God's word. And then they come out with these weird revelations that nobody's ever heard before. Something, something weird that just like they spiritualize and trivialize things that were never meant to be trivialized, never meant to be spiritualized. It's very plain. You read scripture literally unless there's no way to do so. Unless it's some kind of an allegory or poetry or something like that. Or, you know, apocalyptic literature. And Paul was being straightforward with them. You know, whatsoever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. And that's whatever. That's whatever. You sow love, you sow kindness and compassion, you're going to reap it. You sow peace, you're going to get peace back. You sow friendship, you're going to get friends. You sow financial seed, you're going to get finances. Amen. And that's how it works. That's how it works. And people that refuse to sow, there's no harvest coming back. People who refuse to sow have no harvest coming back. Get that in your spirit. People who refuse to sow have no harvest coming back. Let me go give you number five. This is a big one that nobody likes to talk about. Uh, another enemy of financial increase. People who refuse to bless the poor. That's number five. That's an enemy of financial increase. It's an enemy. People who refuse to bless the poor. Number five. You can't refuse to bless the poor. You cannot. You've got to find some way in your Christian life to bless the poor. One of the things, as you're a partner of this ministry, you're assisting us. We're doing it together. We're blessing the poor. We're feeding hundreds of children every single day. We're not turning a blind eye to the needs that are in this world. We're taking a portion of what God blesses us with, and we're blessing the poor. And one of the best ways to do it is to is to partner with those that are on the ground making it happen. That's why I love uh, the, the foundation Dr. Summerall founded, Feed the Hungry. That's why we partner with them, because I believe in what they're doing. You know what they told me when I met with them in, uh, uh, up in um, the, the Northwest, the Midwest there? They said, when 2020 hit and all of these countries started to shut down, they stopped allowing us to gather people together in these countries to feed the hungry. And of course, we send the manna packs and all that over there to feed people and everything, get them nutrients in their body and everything that's built into what they call a manna pack. Uh, I'm feeding hundreds and hundreds of children. But one of the things that, they, that got me stirred up, they said, you know, we went around that. 
And when governments didn't want us to gather people together to feed the poor, we started cooking massive batches of these manna packs, huge, huge batches. And then we put like a massive container in the back of a pickup truck. And we drove from village to village because we couldn't gather, we went to them. And we drove from village to village to village, serving food to people uh, in single portions, one by one by one. Because they couldn't gather, we went to them. That's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. That though even governments said no more gathering, trying to hinder what, what they were doing. They said, no, we have a calling to bless the poor. And they went and they kept feeding, kept traveling, kept feeding. Didn't stop. They didn't stop. That's the kind of an organization that we partner with. That's who we're standing with. I'm not giving money to these organizations. You know, you, you got these people raising money, you know, help Puerto Rico, help, help these places. And then you give money to help Puerto Rico and you give money to help Haiti and all these places. And 97% of the funds that were given never reached the islands, never reached the islands. They go through hand after hand after hand after hand after hand after hand after hand till there's no money left and everything that you thought was going to help the poor because it's a corrupt organization never gets there. So we don't do that. I don't partner with some nonsensical organization run by sinners, run by wicked people. I partner with a Holy Ghost organization, people that are Holy Ghost filled on fire for God that are doing everything they can to make sure the majority of everything they have is going, everything that comes in, going to bless. We'll go into these inner cities when we set the tent up, when my father sets the tent up and we have these crusades, they'll send 18-wheeler trucks filled with groceries to bless those that are poor in the inner cities of the United States of America. And we'll, send, we'll hand out grocery boxes after these services and bless these uh, people that are living in the cities that may not have enough for their children. That's who I want to be partnered with. You can't turn a blind eye to the poor and then expect God to bless you. You can't do it. You can't do it. And so let me read you this. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 27. Proverbs 28, 27. Whoever gives to the poor will not want. Look at that. Whoever gives to the poor will not want. That means lack. You'll not go in want. You'll not, not have enough. But look at this. But he who hides his eye or his eyes will get many a curse. You know, and it's talking about in reference to the poor. If you hide your eyes from the poor and act like they don't exist, if you hide your eyes from those that are in need, and act like you can't see what they're going through and struggling with something. The, the Bible says that brings a curse on people's lives. You're blessed. You have more than enough. You have overflow. But you hide your eyes from those that are in need, those that are poor. The Bible says it, it's a magnet for curses to come upon your life. Not a curse. Look what it says. He will get many a curse. Proverbs 28, 27. Proverbs 28, 27, whoever hides his eyes from the poor will reap many a curse upon their life. But whoever gives to the poor, what will happen to them will not want. You'll not lack. You know why? God cares for the poor. The church should care for the poor. Proverbs 19, let me read this to you. God cares for the poor. Proverbs 19 and verse 17, and I'm going to read it to you, not just in the ESV, but I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation. Pop it in your notes. Proverbs 19 and verse 17. First in the ESV. The Bible says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. Glory to God. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and the Lord will repay him for his deed. Listen to the New Living Translation. If you help the poor, you're lending to the Lord and he will repay you. He will repay you. Glory to God. 
<laughs> I know, Ted said, except for the last 21 days. After these 21 days of fasting, I better not send a picture of myself to feed the hungry. They may put me on their support list. <laughs> He's wasting away. <laughs> God will repay you. Why would God repay you? for blessing the poor, because care, he cares for the poor. He cares for the poor. You cannot ignore those that are in need. You cannot turn the blind eye, it brings a curse. And many people are missing out on the financial increase God has for them because of the fact. You know, we first stepped out to, and we've continued to increase our support for Feed the Hungry year after year. I told them we wanna be one of the top 1% of your uh, givers. Then we found out we already were. I said, call back and find out what it takes to be in the top 1% of the top 1%. Because I want to be invested in blessing the poor. We found out what that's it. We've increased every year. But at first it felt like, man, we're giving a lot. It's going to take a lot of faith. It's going to take a lot of faith to do this. And that's how we felt. It's going to take a lot of faith to do this. Can I tell you something? That as we've done it, we've never felt it once. We've never felt it once. Hear what I'm saying to you right now. We've never felt it once that the money has always come in to bless the poor. I've not had to go scrounge it up out of some side account. I've not had to take a special offering. I've not had to, now tonight's feed the poor night. So if you could just earmark your offerings for feeding the poor. I've never had to do it once. I'll never have to do it. You know why I'll never have to do it? Because the Bible tells us why. If you're lending, or if you're blessing the poor, you're lending to the Lord and he repays you for it. He takes care of it because he wants it done. I'll never have to scrounge up some extra change out of the cushions of my couch to buy somebody a meal that's poor. I'll never have to do that. If I will be dedicated to blessing the poor, I'll never want for anything and the Lord will repay me. He'll make sure that he provides what it takes to bless those in need. And that's what the love of Christ should do in our, we should make that kind of an impact in our generation. Amen. That's number five. Number six, the sixth thing. Well, I mean, we've gone through five. It's already 1130. I'll do the other five tomorrow. I'll give you the other five tomorrow. I'm, I'm telling you, this needs to be in book form. And I probably should start writing it <laughs> immediately. I keep saying that about many of these teachings, but I'm serious. It, it, it needs to be written. This needs to be in book form for people to understand. If I, I can't deal with, you know, people in mass coming up to the altar over and over and over. How come? Why, why, where's my financial increase? How come I'm not blessed? Why, why am I not seeing a harvest? How come I don't have? Let me tell you, there are biblical reasons why people don't have a financial increase in their life. There are reasons why people are not seeing the blessing of the Lord on their life. And you can't neglect the word of God and expect God to bless you. But I want to pray for you. Because I'm believing, what have we been declaring? This is going to be a year of financial wonders for the faithful. Amen. In fact, I want you to put it in the comments. This is my year for financial wonders. This is my year for financial wonders. Make it personal. Don't just, don't just say it's going to be a year of financial wonders. Say it's my year of financial wonders in Jesus' name. It is my year for financial wonders. Thank you, Jesus. And it is for the faithful. Things that'll happen that don't even make sense. They don't even make sense, but because you're the faithful, you're like a tree planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in your season. Your leaves will never wither. You'll prosper in all you do. Just make it personal. This is my year of financial wonders. And I probably should just get started writing this book because it needs to be taught, needs to be said. I've got like three that are burning in my spirit that need to get out. So I just need to get to work. I need to get to sit down at the keyboard and start typing it up because it needs to be taught. This is your year of financial wonders. Father, I pray to you in the name of Jesus today for those that are watching, those that are listening, the faithful, the victory tribe, your word is plain that you give seed to the sower. You've already begun to do that, Lord, in a big way during this fast. You've already begun to do it. You've put seed even in our partner's hands. They're praying, Lord, give us large seed to sow. Somebody put $2,000 into their hand. Lord, you've already blessed us back. You've already provided the seed for the largest seed we've ever sown. You've already done it. You've already done it. You give seed to the sower. And now I'm asking you, Lord, that you would continue to put the largest seeds in their hands 
that they've ever sown in 2023 so that we will live through a year of financial wonders that will not make any sense, that blow the minds of natural men and women. Nobody will understand how did that happen? And all we'll be able to say is it's the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. It's the Lord's doing and it's marvelous in our eyes. We ask you, Lord, do that for your people and let us be those who are pillars of generosity in the kingdom of God. Lord, if other people have made up in their minds that they're, they're not going to give, they're not going to sow, they're going to be stingy to the kingdom, let us take their place. Let us take their place because, Lord, we will not hold back on you. Let us be the largest givers in our nation in Jesus' name. And if you can receive this, take it by faith. Lord, make us the largest givers in our church to start. Make us the largest givers in our state and make us lar the largest givers in our nation in Jesus' name. Lord, raise up multimillionaires in your church that will support the kingdom of God. Raise up billionaires in your church that will support the work of the kingdom. We will, if people have made up their mind, they're going to hold back on you, Lord. Make, let us take their place and let us be the largest, most lavish givers that exist on the face of the earth in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, give me personally the largest seed I've ever sown this year. Of course, we're going to give more cumulatively, Lord, as we do every year, but put the largest seed I've ever sown. Lord, I, I pray you quickly elevate us to the place where we can sow a million-dollar seed into your kingdom. Elevate us to that place where we can sow a million dollars into the kingdom of God. In Jesus' name, that will be our story. That will be our story. In one offering, we will release one million dollars. In Jesus' mighty name, bless your people as they sow. And we thank you for it. Amen. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.